Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. All right, then. Here we go. Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. We looked at the first half last week. We're going to look at the second half this week. Last week, we looked at uh, this meeting at the well. Jacob goes down to the well. He ends up meeting Rachel. It sounds almost like it might be a love at first sight type of thing. It's kind of fun and interesting to look at and consider that here he is. He's meeting this woman at the well. And I can't help but think there's quite a few stories of women involving women and and a well. All right. As even in the book of Genesis, there's quite a few. We've dabbled in this before, just had kind of fun. But uh, popping into my mind in preparation for today's study, there was uh, Hagar. Hagar ended up two times at the well. All right, one time she flees from her master. She flees from Sarah and Abraham. She's pregnant. She's out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, God meets her. And it mentions that there happens to be a well nearby, and uh, God says, go back. And then later on, after, you know, 13 years later, 13 and a half years later, she has Ishmael, and she's driven away. And this time she's out in the middle of nowhere, and Ishmael is just about to die from lack of anything to drink. And God meets her again, and there's water. There's a well, mention of a well, the same word that's used there is used here. We had uh, the mention of the well when Abraham sent his unnamed servant and uh, he went out far, far away and ended up going to just the perfect place and ends up going to a well and ends up meeting who becomes uh, later on the bride of uh, his master's servant. So that was a kind of an interesting meeting at the well. Here we have a meeting at the well last time between Jacob and Rachel. And then there's another one. There's Moses ends up fleeing from Pharaoh when it was discovered that he had killed an Egyptian in defense of an Israelite in defense of a Hebrew, and uh, he flees to the desert, and he goes to the land of Midian, and it says he sits down by a well, and some women come up to feed their sheep, and they get chased off, and he defends them, and he ends up marrying one of them. One of them is Zipporah. Uh, So there was a meeting at the well there, and then you have Jesus. He ends up meeting the woman at the well in John chapter 4, probably the most famous woman at the well story of all of them. John chapter 4, Samaritan woman comes to the well in the middle of the day. You don't expect her to be showing up in the middle of the day. And they have this long conversation, really an interesting conversation, The focal point or or the climax of that conversation is found in verses 25 and 26. It says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus responds to her and says, I who speak to you am he. A clear assertion on the part of Jesus that he's the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. He's the long-awaited Samaritan Savior. And uh, much more than that, he's the long-awaited Savior of the world. And so probably, like I said, the most famous woman at the well story of all of them. So Jacob ends up meeting Rachel in this story, and last week we saw that, and he ends up saying to her, after kissing her, (laughs) I'm related to you and your family, and uh, she runs off to tell dad, which is Laban. Laban comes out to greet him, brings him in, and they end up kind of having a mini family reunion of sorts they had never met before, but they are kin, they are family. And so here we pick up in verse 15. Verse 15, somebody mind reading verse 15? Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative... Should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be. Excellent. Tell me what your wages should be. Should you be serving me for nothing? It sounds like he's probably been serving him for nothing for the time he's been there so far. If you look at the verse before, how long has he been there so far? 
month. A month. So it sounds like he's probably been earning his keep, if you will, by staying there and working for a month. Laban finally, after a month, says, hey, uh, let's talk about wages. If you're going to stay here, you don't look like you're going to be leaving anytime soon. Let's talk about uh, what can I pay you because you're actually doing some work for me. And it's kind of interesting that Laban puts it out there to make Jacob choose the number first. This is like a classic haggling tactic. Mm-hmm. You get the other person, the other party, to, to state the number first, you know, and then you can work with it. And, and so there's a classic haggling tactic going on there. Stay quiet until they do. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You've heard of it before. <laughs> so here he, he's putting it out there. He's like, hey, name your wages. What, what's it going to be? Tell me what your wages should be. Verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. He's already met Rachel. We've met Rachel. This is the first time we're introduced to Leah. Leah is the older of the two daughters, and uh, her name means wild cow, mm-hmm. and Rachel's name means ewe lamb. Mm-hmm. All right, so what's it going to be? Is it going to be the wild cow or the ewe lamb? <laughs> All right, so uh, I, I'm not saying that you should choose the wild cow, and I'm not saying you should choose the ewe lamb. But uh, there's something that captures his interest about them. We see in verse 17, it says, Leah's eyes were, well, the Hebrew word is rock, all right? There's no shortage of definitions for this word. The shortage is what, what does the author mean by it, all right? So this word can be translated as weak or delicate or frail or tender or soft-hearted, timid, fearful, gentle, youthful, feeble, or even impotent, dull-eyed, cross-eyed, partially blind, or lacking a gleam, a sparkle, or a luster. So it's not clear what the author's trying to say about her cross-eyed wild cow. (laughs) Well, you take the cross-eyed wild cow as your your, uh, wife. (laughs) But we do see that there's definitely a contrast going on, because that's her description. It's just the eyes. And whatever it is about the eyes, we don't know if it's a good trait or a bad trait. Perhaps the author is saying, you know what, she's got weird eyes. Or perhaps the author is saying, you know what, well, she had nice eyes. You know, as if there wasn't anything else he could compliment her on. You know, And back then, you had to imagine, I mean, most of your body is covered back then. It wasn't like today, you know, where you're walking around with not much on. Back then, pretty much it was the eyes, you know. So you had to make your evaluation based on the eyes and the general silhouette of what you saw, all right, if you're going by what there is to look at. So regarding Leah's eyes, that's all that's mentioned. But Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance, is what mine says. New King James Version says, beautiful of form and appearance. It makes it pretty clear. I mean, we're talking about she's got a figure that captures his interest, all right? At least in the author's perspective, he's putting it down for us to tell us that that's what Jacob seems to have noticed, all right? Something about her figure. So whatever it was about Leah, it sounds like it wasn't much, but Rachel is the one that captures his interest, and she has a an attractive figure or a shapely figure, or she is shaped well. However, John Walton goes out of his way to actually tell us to be careful because what we might conjure up in our minds as to what this could be, you know, we might be thinking, I don't know, tall and skinny and curvy in all the right places. Well, in their society, that may not be beautiful, all right? In their society, it might be something completely different which we might look at and go, oh, I didn't have that in mind, you know. Uh, but just keep in mind that something about her figure does capture his interest. And then verse 18, now Jacob loved Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. You don't see this romantic language in the Bible very often. I mean, you got the Song of Solomon. If you need, if you're running short on romantic language in the Bible, by all means, you're going to find plenty there. All right, but outside of that, there's not a whole lot. But it's kind of interesting that we have in this relationship this romance language 
And we also saw similar language with Jacob's mom and dad. But outside of those, there's not a whole lot. All right, so it's it's kind of rare. So it's something to kind of treasure or recognize there. So here you have some romance. There's romance here. Jacob loved Rachel. And so he says, he's talking to Laban, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. So he proposes, these are the wages I'm interested in. Seven years for your younger daughter. Now, just so you know, this is not... He's not trying to purchase her, all right? What he's offering is the dowry, all right? He's offering to work for free, basically. Laban gets to keep the money from what he would have paid him, and that's going to be saved up as a form of, here you go, I've worked, I've worked off the debt for her as the dowry. I want to marry your younger daughter, all right? Back then, you would earn about a shekel a month. In seven years, we do the math, and we're going, oh, that's 84 months. But in Jewish reckoning, they have a different reckoning. There's a couple extra months in there. So you're looking at about 87 shekels for a 50-shekel price because a bride price was 50 at the most. So he's offering to work and earn 87 shekels worth uh, or provide 87 shekels worth of pay or labor for this 50-shekel purchase. And uh, Laban, uh, he recognizes a good deal when he hears it. He doesn't even try to haggle a bargain, but he says something kind of strange. Here's Laban's response, and we can't hear the tone, but I'm imagining the tone was probably something like this. I read the words in in verse 19, and Laban said, "Yeah, it's better that I give her to you than to somebody else. (laughs) Could you be a little more enthusiastic Mm -hmm. about this? Come on, you're the future father-in-law. This is what you have to say? I'm just, I'm not flattered by the way he says that. <laughs> couldn't you just say yes? You know, couldn't you just be enthusiastic about it? But apparently not. He wants him to think that, well, you got the better of me. <laughs> you're probably it's right. A, it's a haggling. <laughs> it is. It's it a is. haggling. It's like, well, yeah, you're going to give me a million dollars. I guess I'll have to be satisfied. <laughs> I'll give you the junker car you're interested yeah. in. <laughs> well, maybe not. I shouldn't liken Rachel to a junker car. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the reason for a dowry back then is basically you would provide enough money that if you were to die or if you were to desert your wife or if you were to divorce her, that she's going to move back home. She's going to go back with her parents, most likely, and that's going to provide for being able to take care of her. Oh, really? um, yeah, they typically would not end up being marriageable after that. Most of the time, the woman that comes back to the home isn't a good prospect to get remarried in this culture, in this society. So to raise the dowry was the insurance policy, if you will, mm-hmm. to make sure that she's well cared for if you decide, you know what, forget it, I'm not happy with her, we're getting a divorce, or whatever the case might have been. Today we see uh, similar but uh, strained vestiges of that in a wedding ring. You're supposed to buy the big fancy ring, right? But if you break up, she's supposed to have that to be able to use to take care of her. All right, so there's kind of these loose connections that you might have nowadays. So it's to serve as a dowry. Verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Isn't that sweet? See that on a Hallmark card or something. Um, (laughs) Again, there's that romance. I mean, it just feels like you want to just cheer for them. Even though Jacob's been the scoundrel all along that we've seen so far, you just want to see the couple get together. You know, you want to see it come to pass. I mean, they're in love. What could happen? As we're going further, I should also say this. Regarding that, that statement or that phrase regarding a few days, that same phrase is the phrase that was on Jacob's mom's lips when he left home. And she says, just a few days, it'll all be over. Your brother wanting to kill you, it'll just blow over. Just a few days. <laughs> it's the same phrase. It's the same statement. So now uh, he's served seven years, so he's been away for seven years, and it seems like just a few days to him. Verse 21, we see the passage of the seven years. All right. So then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, 
<laughs> for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. Give me is a demand. It's not a request. So it sounds like as he's nearing the end of those seven years, it's like, I can't wait for this to be over, right? And what do you suppose it means when it says that I may go into her? It should be pretty clear. We're all adults here, right? Um, yeah, they want to consummate the marriage. They, yeah, this is describing sexual intercourse. He's not saying, give me my wife so we can take long walks through the desert. He's not saying, give me my wife so that we can lay down in the sand and look up at the clouds and imagine what we see up there. He's not saying, you know, so that we can start a family. No, on his mind, he wants sex. <laughs> and after seven years of thinking about it, I can't blame him. You know, I guess I, I had a very short engagement. I can't imagine a seven-year engagement. All right, so yeah, that, so that's what he's talking about there. By the way, that does remind us of the relationship that Mary and Joseph had during the time of the birth of Jesus. The arrangement was a betrothal and then the actual wedding when your relationship was consummated. So in, in the relationship that Mary had with Joseph, it was a one-year betrothal typically at that time. And so you were spoken for. You weren't going to be married to somebody else. At the end of the year, you were going to be married to that person. But it was a year-long wait, and so you have that as part of the background to that story here. It's a seven-year wait, so it's a little bit longer of a wait. But after seven years, he's been chalking off his calendar, counting down the days. The days finally arrived. One other thing to notice as well, though, is they've kept themselves pure the whole time, you know? Because if they've been having sex the whole time, in our society, you wouldn't see that statement. Because now everybody just moves in with one another, and they don't care about waiting. But this is a statement that they waited a long time. So it is possible, humanly possible, to wait. <laughs> Verse 22, then, moving on. And Laban gathered together all the men of that place and made a feast. The Hebrew word for feast there is actually a drinking party. It does have food, too, but it actually comes from the verb that means to drink. All right, so it's drinking first and foremost and then eating. So be careful. You could get drunk. Seven-day long feast is not uncommon. And in this story, we'll find out it's a seven-day feast. And, and a lot of drinking. So people are going to get a little tipsy, maybe even um, Jacob. And then as we go from there, verse 23, Now it came to pass in the evening that he, this is Laban, took Rachel, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Mm-hmm. Oh, did I make a mistake there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, wait. That can't be right, though. Yeah. Leah's the wrong person. Mm-hmm. He worked seven years for Rachel. Right. But it says Leah? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> Imagine, if you will, this is the wrong person. Laban brings to the wedding chamber the wrong girl. He brings the wild cow and not the ewe lamb. (laughs) He brings the wrong person, the older daughter, not the younger daughter. And then it ends with, and he went into her. He's apparently duped. He thinks it's Rachel. Otherwise, he's going to say something, (laughs) right? He's going to speak up if he knows it's not Rachel. He's going to say something, but he apparently doesn't know. And he consummates a marriage that he didn't want. In fact, when his dad gave him the blessing, you remember there was nothing dad could do to undo the blessing. Remember that? Mm -hmm. In marriage, once you consummate the marriage, there's nothing you can do to undo that situation. The trickster back home gets tricked at Laban's house. He's finally met his match. (laughs) He was able to secure the birthright of the firstborn with a bowl of soup. But after seven years of hard labor, he can't even get the woman he loves. He's been duped, and he doesn't even know yet. We won't find out until verse 25 that he finds out. And then verse 24, we have this mention. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. 
By the way, we should not just breeze right past that because Zilpah is going to become a significant figure in the stories immediately following this. So get familiar with that name. You got Leah and Zilpah so far. All right, Leah and Zilpah. So what ends up happening the next morning, verse 25, so it came to pass in the morning that behold, behold, it was Leah. The sun shining through the window, maybe. You know, you roll over in your bed. There's the eyes, <laughs> right, that you weren't expecting to see. <laughs> How, could... <laughs> How could this have happened? How could this have possibly happened? What are some what are some of your guesses? Because I'll tell you what, the commentators are all guessing too. They're like, well, we guess maybe this could have been a factor, maybe that could have been a factor. What would you guess? Alcohol. Yep, you can come up with the same guess as they came up. Maybe alcohol was a factor. Maybe he was drunk, maybe he was tipsy, maybe he was just so desperate he's like, Oh, I can't wait. There she is. Pounce on her or something. I don't know. So there's that possibility. We know so, he's ready. We know he's ready. <laughs> yeah. He made that clear, right? He vocalized that uh, it's time. Yeah. So there's that desperation. Did you ever hear the phrase, we hear what we want to hear, we believe what we want to believe? Perhaps he wants it so bad that he can't imagine anything other than what he's expecting. And it's dark. It's dark. A lot of modesty. A lot of modesty. In fact, that was one of the things I found out this week in studying for this chapter, is they wore lots of clothes even during this part of the process. I mean, to wear garments while you consummate the marriage, that was apparently part of the deal. So, yeah, when Esther mentions modesty, yeah, kind of strange. I didn't know that. (laughs) Just kind of changes the way I think about the whole thing. Anyway, so, yeah, so you've got the idea that it was dark, that there was alcohol involved, that there was a veil and clothing involved, and there's a a desperation of wanting to believe this is exactly who you expect it to be, and it's not. It's somebody else. Part of the ironic part is that he deceived his dad. Jacob deceived his dad by pretending he was his brother. And here, he's deceived by an older sister pretending she's a younger sister. Now, part of this makes me wonder, too. What what was Leah's deal in this? Yeah. Was she gagged? I mean, couldn't she have said something? It could be that she didn't know any different. It could be in that society that if the younger is to get married before the older, it would kind of shame the older one. Kind of be like, well, what's wrong with you? Your younger sister was able to get married before you? And if you end up being a spinster, then Laban's going to have to pay for your keep for the rest of your life. So Laban's got a motivation to try to get rid of her before he gets rid of his daughter, Rachel. And if we can get this guy, Jacob, drunk enough, maybe we can accomplish two marriages at once. So, yeah, we see uh, some irony in here that's really thick. One of the things there is when you see in verse 25 where he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? And then it says, was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? That why then have you deceived me is the same word that was used by his dad describing to Esau what Jacob had done. It's the same language. The irony is, like I said, really thick. Also, what is this you have done to me? That echoes a statement of indignation on the part of Pharaoh earlier in the story when he was upset that Abraham proposed that Sarah was his sister instead of his actual wife. It's the same language that Abimelech used when Isaac and Rebekah had their little thing where Isaac's like, oh, no, she's my sister, and no, it's his wife. So the family that's been tricking people is, is now getting tricked here in Jacob specifically. Job has an interesting verse. It says, even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. And then your New Testament version of that is basically uh, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. 
Verse 26, and Laban said, so here's Laban's excuse. It's not, oops, sorry, wrong person. <laughs> it was dark, you know. No, he says, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Intentional. Intentional is exactly right. He did this on purpose. You noticed earlier when Jacob said to Laban, okay, time's up, bring me my wife. There was no response. Laban never said, okay, I'll bring you, Rachel. How about Rachel? How about Rachel that night? Where's she at? Couldn't she have stopped it? Couldn't she have stopped it? There's a couple possibilities. Yeah, she didn't know what. Dad wanted it to happen. He was going to make sure she wasn't around or yeah. nobody didn't know she, about Rachel. She, yeah, I mean, the father controlled everything in that kind of society, and he would never have said, hey, honey, guess what? Your sister's getting married? He, well, he wouldn't have said, this is, you know, you're intended for Jacob. Huh. Right. But wouldn't yeah. he, he wouldn't have said. Wouldn't she have seen Leah go through all of the like right. traditional bridal stuff and yeah. the preparations? That, point, yeah. that sure, something but was, then she'd be like, okay, well, that makes sense. She's the older sister. I don't know. I don't women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're left to speculate. We don't yeah. have anything filling in the in between the lines for us. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities of what it could be. None of them are pretty. Yeah. You know, I've even seen some of the commentators said, well, maybe she was locked up. You know, that she was physically restrained. Another one was, well, maybe dad went to her and proposed to her, hey, look, you know the custom in our land. The older one's got to get married first. I thought in the first seven years somebody else would have picked up the cow, but nobody did. So after the cow gets married, then you can get married. Um, Who knows? There was even one that suggested the possibility that Rachel felt for her older sister and felt bad and willingly allowed it to go on with the understanding that she would be able to marry Jacob afterwards. So, yeah, we're left to read between the lines and speculate, but my goodness, it's just, oh, it's heartbreaking. You want a good romance to end well, and this doesn't end well. This is not where it's supposed to go. <laughs> it doesn't say she loved him. It doesn't actually tell us that she loved him. It could have been. It's a possibility. <laughs> She was a good daughter. She was a good daughter. Doing what dad said. We're really involved in this love triangle. I know, right? (laughs) All right, we should stop here. We'll we'll pick it up next week. Let's go ahead and close the prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you do not deceive us. We thank you that even though we're going to go through this life and we are going to meet shysters and scoundrels and people that have their best interest at heart and not ours, though they would say differently, that we can find you time and again trustworthy. Lord, you are the epitome of truth. And we thank you for that standard. We thank you for that rock. We thank you for that anchor that you are for us in this area. And that when other people treat us poorly, we can look forward to the day where you will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in and we'll find that you treat us well. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Jeff.